Let me invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, and Mr. Sandman. What do all these have in common? They are mythical figures. They're spoken of in certain ways, in certain contexts. Obviously, Santa and the Easter Bunny are seasonal. The Tooth Fairy comes in theory, to give money under your child's pillow when they lose a tooth. And some of you wanted Mr. Sandman to bring you a dream. You got something else instead. (laughs) There are some who think and relate to Jesus Christ in the same way as if he were a mythological character. But many of us find the truths of the Bible to be both compelling and easy to believe because God has opened our eyes to see and believe the truth. So we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas as the culmination of God's promise to send a Redeemer to be Jesus who shall save his people from their sins. God has opened our eyes to see, to believe, to know that Jesus has in fact come. He's come and saved his people from their sins. So we believe, and so we sing. We sing of Jesus' birth, We sing of his compassion. We sing of Jesus' mercy and grace. We sing about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And we sing with confident hope of God's love for us found in Jesus. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is gracious. And so we sing. But not everyone has seen and not everyone has tasted and so not everyone has believed. Last year, David Crowder wrote a song entitled, I've Heard About You. The first verse reads this way. I've heard about you. It's always this time of year when the trees are up and the lights are on and Christmas time is here. I've heard about you. Sometimes I struggle to believe, but people keep telling me you're as real as real can be. They sing joy to the world. A Savior is born. Oh, holy night. Every Christmas they sing. Hallelujah. Like they always do. Could it be true? What they say about you? Could it be true what I've heard about you? 
I want to talk for a few minutes about what we've heard. What we've heard in the scriptures that is true about Jesus born some 2,000 years ago. We'll start by reading Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The first concept that we want to recognize, that we're being told of, what we've heard about, is that God sent his son Jesus to save his people. God sent his son Jesus to save his people. And it says in verse 21, from their sins. Why is this such a big favor? Why is it such a big favor for God to send his son Jesus to save us from our sins? I want to just list a few of these items, a few reasons why this is a gigantic favor. I'll have some suggested verses next to them. You can jot them down if you'd like. First of all, sin blinds and deceives. To be rescued from blindness spiritually and deception spiritually is a great favor. Secondly, sin captures our attention, enslaving us. Enslaving us. Putting us in bondage. Chaining us. Thirdly, sin misdirects our affections away from that which truly satisfies our hearts. So not only does it enslave us, it prevents us from what actually frees us. It, it enslaves us and prevents us from the one who would free us until he comes and rescues. And that he does. Fourthly, sin distorts and corrupts, ultimately leading to death. So to say that he shall save his people from their sins means that God frees us from blindness to what is real and true. Frees us from enslavement introduces us to that which truly satisfies 
and removes the sting of death to give us that which is truly life. This is what Jesus did by coming to save his people from their sins. Jesus has come to deliver us from sin's effects. Most importantly, he has come to deliver us from sin's wages, which is eternal death. To die in our place that we would not die spiritually, eternally. He's amazing. And how did he do this? How did he come and rescue? How did he come and save his people from their sin? He lived for us. He lived for us. What does that mean, that he lived for us? Well, he gave up the glories of heaven and he took on flesh. Born as a baby. In the way babies are. Slimy and not very pleasant when they first come out. Waiting to hear that first cry. Waiting to see if life will be sustained. This is how he came. Dependent, absolutely dependent. The one who spoke the world into existence became dependent on a mom to ensure he could have the nourishment to have his life sustained. Born the way all are. Going through the stages of learning to walk. Learning to run. Needing oxygen and food and drink to sustain his physical life. He was born. He lived for us. And in living for us, he lived in such a way that... He fulfilled every demand of the law, the ones that we break day in and day out, the ones that have accrued a a record of debt against us. He lived perfectly, accruing a record of righteousness to grant to us. He lived for us. And then he died for us. He laid down his life willingly, as a sacrifice for our sin. And what's really incredible is that in that moment of dying for us, something changed in the eternal scope. For all of eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling in perfect harmony. And in that moment of being, laying his life down as a sacrifice, in that moment, the fellowship, the eternal intimacy between Father and Son was broken. In that moment, the perfect, spotless, eternally righteous Son of God was charged guilty of my sin. Charged guilty of your sin. Condemned. From intimacy and perfection to utter imperfection, guilt, condemnation, breaking. This is what Jesus willingly did as He lived for us and laid His life down for us. And then... Hallelujah, 
He was raised for our justification. Romans 6 speaks about him being raised for our justification. Justification is a declaration of righteousness. God declaring those who come to him through faith in Jesus as righteous in their record and right in their relationship with him. Gift, grace, abundance, because God sent his promised son who would save his people from their sins. When Jesus came into the world, it was to save us from sin, its effects, and its consequences. Could it be true? What I've heard about you? Could it be true that God Himself took on flesh to bear my sin? To offer me life? Could it be true? What I've heard about you? Well, what else have we heard? Secondly, God sent His Son, Jesus, to be our Savior. Jesus fully accomplished the work necessary to deal with our sin. The epic words that echo through my head, and I hope yours, that Jesus spoke from the cross. It is finished. He came to save. It is finished. Accomplished. But He also came to be our Savior. Not just accomplish a task, but also to be something for us. Please understand the difference between Jesus doing something to pay for our sin and coming to be something for us. He has come and He still works as our shepherd Savior. I want you to think through this with me. He walks with us. Leading us, caring for us, even carrying us, binding our wounds. He invites us to find rest and security and peace and provision right now in Him. Not just something He did 2,000 years ago, something He is for you today. Still caring still leading, still guiding, still inviting, come, come to me, weary. Come to me, you who are troubled. Come to me, you who are weak. Come to me, you who are frail. Come to me, you who are unfaithful. Come to me, you who are broken. Come to me, you who are Needy, He invites us to come to find in Him everything. He invites us to experience a friendship and intimacy that endures. As our shepherd Savior, even when you are alone, 
you're not alone. Your shepherd Savior is with you. He came not only to save, but to be our Savior. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, our Savior walks with us, inviting us to experience His intimacy. He invites you and me to bring our anxieties and cares to Him. He invites us to bring our sorrows to Him. I was on the phone with a friend of mine last night who is absolutely uh, at the end of himself. His mom is in the hospital, dying. He's across the United States. He's not around here. He brought his phone in to his mom so I could pray on speakerphone for him and his family. And I'm praying and I'm hearing her in pain. Crying out in pain. And our Savior invites us to bring our sorrow to Him. You don't have to paste on a Sunday smile as if everything's okay. Not with Him. With other people, maybe. Maybe they're that shallow and they they can only see you with your Sunday best on, but not your Savior. You can bring your sorrows to Him. You can cry with Him. And He cares. Your pain matters to Him. He invites you to call on Him in your time of need. And what's amazing, with all this invitation, come, come to me. I'm here to be your Savior. With all of this, He, in response to us coming, listens. He listens. He listens to you among the eight billion. He may be otherwise occupied. There may be other things on his plate, but he listens to you. He listens to me. He cares. He binds up our spiritual wounds. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He prays for us. He walks with us. And you know what he does? This is, this is such a beautiful concept. He serves as our refuge. You know what a refuge is? The safe place. When the people of Israel went and they set up their country, set up their land, they had six cities of refuge. A city of refuge was designed as part of the judicial process in Israel. So you're out in the field doing whatever work 
and you lift a tool up and swing it and the head goes flying and you accidentally kill your neighbor's child. They had every right to, <laughs> to take you out. But you, knowing the law, run to a city of refuge. As soon as your feet are inside the city of refuge, you're safe. Outside of the city of refuge, not safe. Inside of the city of refuge, safe. Run. There were six of them, so they're near. <laughs> God being our refuge means you don't have far to run. He's always near. Our Savior Jesus came to be our Savior. Have you tasted the sweetness of this relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Where no matter where you are, no matter what you face, you know He's right there with you. If you've tasted this intimacy, then as the words of if you, uh, excuse me, I've heard about you continue it's if it's all true then it changes everything because the hope i thought i never found has found its way to me you know that's such an important concept god is on mission he's on mission He's bringing salvation with him. He's not inept and waiting. Oh, I, I hope they'll come. I, I hope they'll figure this out. I, I hope their eyes will be opened. I, I hope they'll, they'll be rescued. He's not helpless and, and waiting as if he's so dependent on you to respond to him. He comes and he meets you where you are in your deepest sorrow, in your deepest needs. With all of your brokenness and all of your pain and all of your anxiety, he comes to you. He comes to you because that's who he is. He's a savior God. He meets us in our sorrow and he even meets us in our disbelief. One more matter that we've heard about him that I want for us to discuss that's in our text. God sent his son Jesus to be with us. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, his another name, Emmanuel, God with us. He is a Savior. He came and accomplished the work of salvation. He came to be a Savior, to hear us. And he came to be with us. While he came and he died, he was resurrected and ascended to heaven. This text is telling us that God promised that he would come to be with us. And he has. He has come to his people. In various places throughout the New Testament, we see this reassurance of God's presence among his people. In Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is with believers. He's in believers in Romans chapter 8. 
in Colossians chapter 1. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the Father, God the Father is in you all. All the believers, God the Father is there. His presence is there. Therefore, believer, you who have tasted, you who have seen, you who have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you've received life through Him, whatever you face, you face with the presence of God. He's a present God in every detail, at every moment, in every situation that you face. He came to be with us. And with us, He is. Amen. If you have tasted of this hope and security, if you've tasted this salvation and this intimacy, you can, with the rest of us, and with David Crowder, sing, So I sing, joy to the world, a Savior is born. Oh, holy night, every Christmas I sing. I sing this hallelujah like they always do. I believe it's all true what I've heard about you. How about you? Let's pray. Father, you, you are so good. Lord Jesus, you are so good and faithful to do and to be everything that we need. Father, we ask in these moments for each believer that we would be filled with peace and joy and confidence. We pray for those who might not yet know our Savior Jesus, that you would open their eyes to see, to believe, to taste, to experience this joy of an intimate relationship with you. We pray for those who are, even in this moment, in deep distress, in deep sorrow, in indescribable pain. We pray your, your peace, your strength, your love, and this hope for each one of them. In Jesus' great name, amen.